call to worship is from Daniel chapter 2. This is from Daniel's praise after the Lord answered his prayer. Beginning in verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank and praise You, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of You. You have made known to us the dream of the King. Let's sing Psalm 2 together this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is our sermon text from Daniel chapter 2. First half of Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 28, as we pick up the story of Daniel and his friends who were taken to Babylon. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked him for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with Him. I thank and praise You, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of You. You have made known to us the dream 
of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain it to the king, the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Jay, can you come lead us in prayer? As we saw last time, the story recorded in the book of Daniel took place at a very dark time in Israel's history. Remember, Israel at this time of Daniel's period had broken covenant with God. They had rejected God's prophets, God's righteous men who called Israel to repentance and reconciliation to God, their Lord. And they had gotten to the point, as the historian says at the end of the book of Second Chronicles, that there was no remedy. The time of judgment on Judah and Israel had come. And yet, in this very, very dark period, the story of Daniel is about God doing some amazing things through His faithful people. Some things that could not have been foreseen in Israel just a, a few decades before Daniel. God was going to reveal Himself to the king of the Babylonian Empire. God was going to convert Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the known world. And so Nebuchadnezzar would fall down and worship the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Nebuchadnezzar was going to come up, become a believer. And this is one of those most remarkable things in the very darkest part of Israel's history. We have this story of the amazing things that God does. And we learned last week how that is very relevant to us today because many people think of us as living in a very dark period of time. We certainly face many challenges as God's people, but it's actually those kind of things in the story of Daniel which tells us that we should be very optimistic because it's precisely these kinds of dark periods of time that God enjoys doing the most amazing things. And so we can expect, based on the story of Daniel, that even though we do live in a dark time, that God will do amazing things in our day as well. To get the most out of Daniel, we do need to consider the historical context of the book. Daniel 1 opens with a reference to the first invasion of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar was a very historical figure. We can look at history and, and, and archaeology and, and know that he is a, a very important ruler in the Middle East at this particular time. At this time was actually about 20 years before Nebuchadnezzar came back to Judah and to Jerusalem and totally wiped out the temple and carried off all of the Jews into captivity. So what we have here is the very first invasion and it was on his third invasion that he destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. So we need to keep that in mind because that particular detail, Daniel's in Babylon about 20 years before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And that detail becomes very important as we'll see a little bit later. Now, the prophets had warned God's people that God's judgment was coming because they had broken God's covenant by breaking His laws and His statutes that He had given His people. Remember, God had formed His people in Sinai, had given the covenant law, and told them that if they broke it, they would be cast out of the land. They would experience their own death penalty, much like Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. So it's that context that explains the structure of Daniel. 
And a lot of people don't realize this, but Daniel is actually made up of ten literary sections. We talked about this last time. And these ten literary sections actually correspond to the Ten Commandments. And so what you really have with the book of Daniel, through the example of Daniel, is that Daniel is a book that shows God's people what keeping God's law looks like. And in chapter 1, we saw that it was all about obeying God's first command, you shall have no other gods before me. And it's also interesting in Daniel chapter 1 that the story revolves around Daniel and his friends refusing to eat forbidden fruit, which of course was the very first command in the Garden of Eden as well. If they were to eat the food from Nebuchadnezzar's table on his terms, then they would break the first commandment. They would lose that identity as God's people, as worshipers of Jehovah, and they would end up engaging in a sort of covenantal identification with King Nebuchadnezzar. That's why they rejected the king's food on his terms. They were going to serve God first. And that's really the message of chapter 1. And that corresponds with the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And so by rejecting the king's food on his terms, Daniel and his friends rejected the food offered to them and so rejected covenant identification with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, the entire culture, the entire religion, they really maintained a separation from King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's interesting because what Daniel and his friends actually did was what Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden. Adam and Eve were supposed to reject the food that was offered to them by the serpent. So this this idea of the temptation of food is actually very much a part of the wider story that we've seen with the garden series and we'll actually see it coming up elsewhere in Daniel as well. And we can draw another parallel in the other direction of the Bible as well. Jesus, like Daniel, also rejected the food offered to him by Satan in his temptation. Remember, the, in, the, in the temptation in the wilderness of Jesus, Satan claimed to have dominion over the nations of the earth, just like Nebuchadnezzar no doubt thought he had dominion over the nations of his world at his time. And Satan had promised authority over the nations if Jesus would simply bow down and worship him and also if he would just listen to his word and eat the bread that he knew Christ could make from the stones. So there was food involved in the temptation of Christ, just like there was food involved in the first temptation of Daniel, and that goes all the way back to the beginning of the story with the original temptation. Now there are a few more subtle things on in chapter 1 that I think we need to look at once again to set the context for what happens. Notice verse 2 in chapter 1 says that some of the articles were taken back to Babylon when the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off in the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. We're going to find out a little later that these articles are actually gold articles, which means it comes from the very center of the temple, and they play a big role in the story of Daniel later in the book. But that's the first note that we find that he took off these articles from the temple in Jerusalem. And then when we get, then we get uh, a little bit later, by the end of the chapter one, we get the sense that King Nebuchadnezzar had not only taken articles from God's temple, but he had also taken priests who served in God's temple as well. Because that's really the message of Daniel chapter one. Daniel and his friends were going to serve Nebuchadnezzar, but they were going to serve God first as his special And the hint is actually in verse 4. Look at verse 4 of Daniel chapter 1. 
or back up in verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. That idea of without defect comes from Leviticus. That is what a priest had to be. A priest had to be physically without defect, without blemish. And there's a long list of the kind of blemishes that disqualified one as serving as a priest in God's house. And so we have this subtle hint that here you have Daniel who are being prepared for their priesthood for God in Babylon. Now there are a few subtle hints that the king Nebuchadnezzar had fallen for a reverse temptation. Watch how this works in chapter 1. The king found Daniel and his friends pleasing to the eyes, so to speak, is as if Nebuchadnezzar was ready and willing to reach out and pick of the fruit from God's garden because he saw that Daniel and his friends would bring wisdom and knowledge to his kingdom. That's why he wanted, was, had this interest in these, these Jewish nobles because he saw that they were pleasing to his eyes and that they would bring wisdom. His friends and Daniel would en- enlighten Nebuchadnezzar's eyes to the true knowledge of good and evil, which is what kings need to rule. And we see that in First Sam, uh, Second Samuel chapter 14 and 19, how the, the knowledge of good and evil is actually a very good thing. It's what kings need to rule. And that actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Um, as we mentioned back in the Garden series, God had that tree of the knowledge of good and evil for Adam and Eve in his time. It was not something that was inherently wicked. Just like Nebuchadnezzar looking for these nobles from Judah and their wisdom, bringing their wisdom into the kingdom was not a bad thing. It was actually a very wise Thing. And so what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar had plucked from God's tree of Israel and brought to ba- Babylon this fruit that was going to make his kingdom better. And what we find out happening in the story is that what actually happened, what he picked from the fruit of God's tree of Israel, turned out to be like leaven in his kingdom and actually brought his realm, challenged his realm, brought his realm down in one sense and brought him into obedience to the true king and lord of the earth, God himself. And that's where we pick up chapter 2. And notice that chapter 2, we're not going to get to it today, it'll be the next segment. But chapter 2 later talks about an image that the king saw in his dream that troubled him greatly. Remember, what is, remember we're following the Ten Commandments here. What's the second commandment? The second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself an idol, literally a carved image, in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or waters below. And so we're going to find out what happens when these images are constructed in God's providence. And that's why Daniel chapter 2 corresponds to the second commandment. Now, we'll see how that image works and what that what the interpretation of the dream means in the next segment. Daniel chapter 2 is a very big chapter, so there's lots to cover. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. In the second year of his reign... Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. And this is an interesting turning point in the book of Daniel because at this verse, the language of which Daniel was originally written in, changes. Changes from Hebrew in Daniel chapter 1 and the early part of Daniel chapter 2 to actually Aramaic, 
which was the language of Babylon. And so we have this shift in the original text and it goes in Aramaic all the way to, to Daniel chapter 7 where it switches back into Hebrew. And that's interesting. There's sort of a, a transition here where Daniel is now, the focus of Daniel is now going to the Babylonian context. And we'll see when it switches back to Hebrew in Daniel chapter 7, it switches back to a Hebrew context. So there's a switch here. O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. In other words, what they were, what he's accusing them of is, well, if you guys just put this off, you may think I'm just going to forget this later on and we'll move on. But no, I'm not going to forget this because I have firmly decided. Verse 9, if you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Now, not very much time has gone by since the first chapter of Daniel took place. Daniel is still very young at this time, and this crisis arises in Babylon. The king is troubled by a dream. And remember that in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar had spent a lot of effort in bringing all these wise men into Babylon to help him with these sort of magic arts this sort of the secrets to ruling, the secrets of power and wisdom and how to rule. And he had spent all this effort filling his courts with these wise men and astrologers and now he decides it's time to test them. Tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it. What he is saying is that you guys know magic, now use it, right? They claim to know magic. That's what all of these Chaldean wise men are all about. And now the king says, okay, Let's see what I got for my money. And perhaps they deserve this test because of the claims they made for themselves and their own abilities. Remember, they had separated themselves. If you, if you look at archaeological reliefs of Babylon, you have these particular weird guys that are all dressed up in something totally different than the common people. And they were the, the Chaldean wise men. They had these sort of secret, secret knowledge and everything. And they were, they were separated from the people. They had this sort of the, 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 the link to the gods, so to speak. And so Nebuchadnezzar's takes them at their words, and they probably brought this on themselves because you can, know, you can understand this very easily. If someone, the, the very fastest way to lose credibility is to promise the impossible, right? Because when you promise the impossible, someone sooner or later will come along and say, okay, you've got big talk, now prove it. In this case, it was prove it or die. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar knew what the dream was, and he knew something of what it meant for it troubled him. And we'll get to the dream next time. But a great statue was smashed by this rock coming down, a rock without, not made by hands. So what really bothered the king? We'll get to this, but the dream bothered him because it revealed to him that he was not in charge of things and that his kingdom, what he th would have originally thought of his kingdom, would not last. And so there was this sense of hopelessness, this sense, this sense of helplessness that he had been given a vision of the future and the future was bad news. 
And now his wise men turned out to be impotent too. They couldn't do what they claimed to do. So if the kingdom was going to come to an end, which is what he probably thought when he understood the dream, then the king was going to take the wise men down with him. They would work their magic or they would die. Verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. So we have this confession here, which is actually true. They actually admit the truth that no man can do this except the gods, although they didn't quite get it right that the gods do not live among men. But from their perspective, that was something that was true. And so they confess that their powers as magicians and astrologers are actually quite a sham after all. And so we have the king's response in verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. It was a great time to graduate from Babylonian Academy. A year later, all of them were going to be killed. So he decreed the death sentence for all these wise men to be killed. But now we have mention of Daniel. Notice in verse 14, when Arioch, and this is, since this is a different language, it's a different name, but Arioch is actually the Ashpenaz, Daniel's friend back in chapter 1, the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And you can imagine there are a lot of people losing their heads at this time and crazy things going on and we have this idea that Daniel's cool under fire and he goes and he speaks to the captain of the guard with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Now at this time, Daniel doesn't know that God is going to reveal the dream to him. Recognize that Daniel stepped up here out of faith and went and told the king And this Arioch connection comes back into play as well. And we can see here probably that Daniel, being a new graduate of the academy in Babylon, was not part of the the leaders who would probably have been the ones that actually talked with the king about this. So Daniel was left out of the loop being a young young man. He certainly had not worked his way up into the the upper echelons of the, the Chaldean wise men. But actually, at this point, I should mention that is this... Is this story beginning to look familiar to you as far as a king and a Hebrew and interpreting dreams? Think back to the Garden series where we looked at the story of another young Hebrew who was taken into captivity and brought into a foreign land. What story am I talking about? In this story, the young man also befriended a high official of the king, a captain of the guard, actually, Genesis says. And it's kind of ironic because this young man in Genesis also had the ability to interpret dreams. So this story should start looking remarkably familiar to you. The story of Daniel is actually the story of a new Joseph. Just like Joseph had, remember, he had been bought by the captain of the guard in Egypt, Potiphar, and then was introduced to the king later. We have Daniel who befriends Ashpenaz, the king's official, and then is introduced to Nebuchadnezzar a little bit later. And we can start thinking of a whole bunch of parallels here that really, if we understand the story, should pop out at us. Joseph was taken to Egypt and prepared a place for his brothers to come after a few years when the great famine arrived 
in the land. So Daniel was taken as a captive to Babylon to prepare a place for his brothers when the total destruction of Judah and Jerusalem took place about 20 years later. Joseph befriended the high official, just like Daniel befriended the high official. Joseph rose to prominence because God was with him. And we see the same thing with Daniel and his friends. Joseph rejected temptation, Potiphar's wife, just like Daniel and his friends rejected temptation, the the food from the table of the king. So as we march forward here in Daniel chapter 2, I want you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 and hold your place in Genesis 41 as we keep reading. And I'm going to point out a few more parallels as well. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh actually saw two dreams that troubled him. And Nebuchadnezzar also was revealed two dreams. This dream in Daniel chapter 2, and we'll see another dream in Daniel chapter 4. Both of which Daniel interpreted, just like Joseph interpreted both dreams for Pharaoh. Now what bothered Pharaoh was actually the very same thing that bothered Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Pharaoh's dreams foreshadowed the coming failure of the gods of Egypt. It was a failure that bothered him. He saw the failure coming. He saw that the Nile was going to fail and he saw that the the grain in the field was going to wither. So in Egypt, these were the two gods that the Pharaoh had control over in that culture. They thought that the Pharaoh controlled the Nile and they thought that the Pharaoh controlled the sun. So these dreams were the failure, the coming failure of Egypt. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this image that gets smashed by the rock, he would have instantly recognized as very bad news for his kingdom. So Daniel unfolds along this pattern of the Joseph story. Pick up in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. There's another aspect that resembles the Joseph story. One of those little details. Back in Genesis 41:45, we were told that Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Pania, which means revealer of secrets. And he gave him that name because God revealed the mystery of the dream to Joseph and, and Joseph revealed the dream to Pharaoh. And just the same thing is going on here with Daniel. Daniel is going to be revealed a mystery, a secret, this dream that no man could know so that he could take the, take the mystery and explain it to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So here we have two details that become sort of what the whole story of Daniel is about from here on out. The first detail is the sovereignty of God over the affairs and kingdoms of men. And the second detail is the power of prayer. We're going to see these two different themes just keep picking up in the book of Daniel. The sovereignty of God over the affairs of men and their kingdoms. And the second is the power of prayer. And notice that Daniel did not merely pray as an individual here. He went and found his friends. He told them what the situation was. And together with them, as God's congregation in Babylon, they went to God 
in prayer. And we have a lot of, to- a lot of trouble at appreciating this because we live in such an individualistic society in American culture. But powerful prayer in the Bible is often done in community. That's the example we have before us. And notice that God reveals the dream not just to Daniel because we have it in plural. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And you know what? That's why we have congregational prayer here. It's because of this example, these kinds of examples. Community prayers. And community prayers, they make up a major part of our worship because we live as not just as individuals, but a community of people. And there's something different about community prayers as opposed to private or individual prayers. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray in private. Jesus talked about praying in secret, praying as an individual. But in our culture, I think that it's imbalanced in the other direction. There is something different about community or congregational prayer. For one thing, praying in community teaches us that there is more involved than our own personal concerns. There are others that have concerns too. And as we pray in community, we learn a bit about what it means to be selfless. It teaches us selflessness. When we gather together and we share our requests and we bring all of these requests to the Lord in prayer as a congregation, as a community prayer, we learn selflessness because now we are not in charge of everything. There are other concerns. There are other needs. There are other praises. And so Daniel called for community prayer and God heard their prayer. And I think this, this aspect of community prayer is one of the reasons why the church is so weak in prayer because we tend not to think in terms of praying as God's people, praying with God's people. We tend to think that everything is individualistic, but God wants to hear His people pray, he gather together, His family. Think of it in terms of family as well, and you'll understand the power of community prayer. Verse 24, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Here's another connection to the story of Joseph in Egypt. Daniel not only saves his Hebrew brothers, but he saves Jew and Gentiles together. You know, Daniel could very well have easily told Arioch, Go ahead and kill the other wise men because they're worthless. He could have done that. I know the, I know the secret, and I can give the king the secret, but you don't need these other wise men, these Chaldean astrologers. You can go ahead and kill them, but keep us. What does Daniel do? No. Like Joseph, remember Joseph saved his brothers by storing up the grain and delivering the grain to them? But Joseph also saved Gentiles as well. And Daniel does the very same thing. Daniel models God's grace and becomes a picture of Christ by saving both Jew and Gentile, just like Joseph saved his own brothers and all of Egypt by preparing for the drought. Verse 25, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Arioch is not claiming that Daniel is going to tell him what the dream is. Look at it very carefully. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Well, that's what this. He was hedging just a little bit. I mean, what happens if Daniel turns out not to be able to do this? Arioch would probably lose his head as well. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, remember that was the name that the king Nebuchadnezzar had given Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. 
Daniel knew exactly how to answer the king's question. Do you know why? Where did Daniel get this answer from? Go back to Genesis chapter 41, verses 15 and 16. Watch what Joseph says to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says in verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And there's a subtle cha- there's some, some contrast here between Pharaoh's situation and Joseph and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar because Joseph was given was told the dream by Pharaoh and yet in, in Daniel's day Daniel was required to know the dream and interpret it. And so you have this progression of the failure of the kingdoms of the world that we have this development. This is a worse failure in a sense than what we had with Egypt and the original Pharaoh. But notice that neither Joseph nor Daniel take credit for their knowledge because they are servants, quite literally priests serving God. It was God's wisdom given to them to reveal to the kingdom, to the king, and they acknowledged that as God's servants. Now we're going to see a lot more happen in the life of Daniel that resembles what happens in the life of Joseph. Daniel will go on not only to interpret the dream of the king, but in fact tell him the details of the dream. And he too, like Joseph, will be exalted and established as a high ruler in the kingdom. And he'll actually convert Nebuchadnezzar to faith, just like Joseph converted Pharaoh to faith because we see Pharaoh receiving a blessing from Jacob at the end of Genesis. But another key thing that we see a parallel here is that, uh, remember, another king arose in Egypt that did not remember who Joseph was. We see that with another king here. It was actually King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, successor also forgets about Daniel, just like the king forgot about Joseph in Egypt. We'll see that happen later in the book as well. Now, next time we'll look at these meanings of this dream and how this plays into the history, the details of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but I want to go over a couple of lessons of Daniel chapters 1 and 2 that are extremely relevant for God's people today in modern America. The first lesson is that God's people had better be careful about whose table they eat from. This is the first commandment. We live in a time when there are a lot of Christians who want a place at the reigning political table. And there are a lot of Christians who are willing to trade in true service as God's holy priest and compromise God's truth in exchange for political power. Whenever Christians eat from the king's table first, rather than God's table first, they break God's first commandment. And what happens? What happens when God's people do that? When they seek a place at the political table first, they get removed from power. They get removed from authority. God has his own way of removing the unfaithful from power. And that's actually what happened to the other Jewish nobles, captives, and people that were brought from Judah with Daniel. Remember, Daniel and his friends were not the only ones brought from Judah. And yet we we never hear about them again in the story. They were removed from power in Judah and they were removed from authority and influence in Babylon. They just went along and they didn't have a second thought about eating from the king's table on his terms. They broke the first command. And I think that's there's a parallel here because that's what's happening today. By and large, Christians are infatuated with political power first. They want power first. They want to win elections They want to hold the power over the the contraption of government 
and they're willing to say anything or endorse anyone to get that power. And that is a violation of the first commandment. That is what Daniel teaches us not to do. We are first and foremost God's priests and we speak the truth and we dedicate ourselves to the service of God first and then when we are faithful, what you have is God raises God's people up. That's the story of Joseph. That's the story of Daniel. The other nobles were removed from authority. You watch this election coming up. There will be a lot of Christians moaning and groaning about the results, but Christians are going to be removed from power. And we can understand why Christians are going to lose influence in this culture because if we understand the story of Daniel, if we understand the story of Joseph, we'll understand the source of the problem. The source of the problem is that God's people have not dedicated themselves as God's priests first, stood for what's right first, even if it means danger. The second lesson is from Daniel 2, and it is this. When the kingdoms of this world begin to fail, when they start to crumble and fall, God's people had better step up and speak the word of God or God will use those kingdoms to destroy his disobedient people. If Daniel doesn't step up and speak up, he dies with his friends. We see something very similar in the book of Esther as well because you have Esther. I mean, there really comes a point in time when God's saints have to speak up and say, if I perish, I perish. And then speak God's truth to the culture and the centers of power. If we don't speak up when the kingdoms are failing then we will go down with them. That's the message of Daniel. And you need to realize that what Daniel did took a lot of faith. He didn't know that God was going to reveal the stream to him. He moved first in faith. And we see something very similar in, in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know that God would deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. But they kept themselves from idols first, regardless, regardless of what would happen to them. That's the kind of fortitude and faith we need in a world where, to put it bluntly, a lot of Christians do not know what it means to worship and serve God alone and keep themselves from idols. So let us learn the lesson of young Daniel. For it is precisely when we learn true worship and soul dedication to God and his kingdom, not the political rulers of our day who come and go over time, that we will be blessed with honor, dominion, and authority in this world. Honor, dominion, and authority in this world is not a bad thing. That's another lesson from Daniel. God's people are made to lead and govern as God's servants. But they do so as God's servants. They do so in righteousness. They do so in humility. And so Daniel is willing twice already in Daniel chapters 1 and 2 to lose his life. He could have lost his life when he rejected the king's food. He could have lost his life if God did not reveal him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And yet what happened twice? Daniel and his friends were exalted. Daniel understood and practiced exactly what Jesus taught. He who loves his life for God, loses his life for God's sake will find it, and he who finds or loves his own life will lose it. May we learn the gospel lessons of Daniel, for these are the lessons of God's kingdom, which rules over all. Let's pray. Our Father, you've given to us great and precious promises. You've given us a great heritage as your people and shown us the things that you have done in changing the times and the seasons. You've lifted up your people in Jesus Christ and seated us in the heavenlies to reign and rule with you. May you also teach us how to do this through faith, through obedience, and in humility. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.